This podcast is proudly brought to you by Sky Racing and Inglis, number one in its field. I was very sorry to learn that popular Newcastle trainer and former successful jockey Alan Groovy Scorse has been forced into premature retirement. Alan was diagnosed with an optic nerve tumour 18 months ago, but was able to bring it under control with radiation and chemotherapy. He was pretty disappointed recently to discover that the tumour has re-presented and he now has to face a protracted period of treatment which will make it almost impossible for him to manage a team of horses. Alan has arranged to transfer his horses to other trainers while he concentrates fully on his medical problem. Alan's course outrode his allowance in his five-year apprenticeship to Ray Guy, after which his opportunities began to dry up in the metropolitan area. He spent the last 25 years of his riding career based at Newcastle, where he was in constant demand. And when he retired in 1997, he had a win tally of 1,269, including two Group 1s and many, many stakes races. He's been training a small team of horses ever since and has 250 wins on the board. It's a great pleasure to welcome to the podcast, Alan Groovy Scorse. Thanks for your time, Al. That's okay, John. It's a pleasure. Mate, I can't remember the last time I heard anybody call you Alan. <laughs> yeah, it's been my my trademark ever since I started. Um, yeah, I got it when I was a young kid at uh, Ray Guy's. Yeah. It's stuck with me all my life. Uh, well, where does yeah. the nickname come from, Groovy? Um, I used to just sing a song when I was raised, um, Feeling Groovy. It was a popular song in the, that years, in the 70s. And um, Max just gave me that name. Um, yeah, just, just because it, everybody had a nickname at Ray's. Yeah. And um, I, I just got that one and it stuck, so... Um, yeah, I've been groovy ever since. Well, it was a popular song. I think Simon and Garfunkel uh, may have been the first to record it, but many other top liners had a crack at it after that. But nobody gave it more publicity than Alan Scorse. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> but, mate, you walk onto a race course now anywhere and you, your people are still yelling out, hey, groovy. Yes, yeah, they still call me groovy. Yep. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Mate, you discovered this optic nerve tumour by accident. You were in hospital for something else. Yeah, I was. I um, had a bit of a problem with my nose and snoring and I went to a specialist and he had said I just had a bent bone in my nose and that he, he could straighten it um, just from probably being hit in the nose a few times when I was riding. Mm. And um, so I went in and had the operation to do that and clean my sinuses out and um, he found the tumour, so... Mm. I was probably lucky that he did because they told me if I, he hadn't found it, I would have just got um, headaches and probably would have died. So mm. I was very lucky that way. And, uh, yeah, so we got straight on to it. Now, Alan, you had 12 or 15 months of uh, peace of mind. Everything seemed good, but suddenly yep. you noticed a few little signs reappearing. Yeah, that's right. I, I got the all clear. I had a few MRIs each four, each four months. I had to have one and uh, they were clear. And then all of a sudden I just started to get a little, um, well, the doctor thought it was scar tissue um, appear in the MRIs and uh, they kept their eye on it. Then all of a sudden I started getting headaches and my eyes started to play up and uh, 
really bad, uh, really quickly, and I went back straight back to the doctor, and they did another um, MRI and found that the tumour had reappeared and was um, moving. So um, that was a bit of a worry. But uh, yeah, we're, so we're we're onto it now, and hopefully this next lot of um, radiation will cure that. So mm-hmm. when do you yeah. start? Tomorrow morning. Right. Yeah. You've only been working a small team for quite a long time and you've made arrangements to split them up. Where are they going? Yeah, well, uh, I only had five in work at the time and uh, three of them have gone to Dave Atkins um, and one went to Alan Denham and one went to Steve Hodge. Right. Um, Now, you've known Steve Hodge for a long time. Yes, he was foreman for Roy when I was riding for him. I've known him ever since I've come to Newcastle. Mm-hmm. So we've been good friends. And um, I've been good friends with um, Alan Denham for a long, long time when we were apprenticed in Sydney mm-hmm. um, he, when he was with his dad. And, um, yeah, I, I rode a little bit for his dad and we were good friends, Alan and I. And, um, yeah, the, the owners of the two-year-old decided that they'd like to give it to Alan. So, um, yeah, I was in total agreement with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's worked out pretty good for everybody. You've trained some handy ones in recent years. One of your favourites is Sir Covert. You won seven races with him. I don't know how many placings he ran. He won three in town and he just got nutted in a Ramoni handicap at Grafton. Yeah, he was a good little horse. He, every time he ran in a race, he was always the smallest horse in a race. Mm. He was just a tiny little horse, but he had a big heart and, and could gallop from the start. And uh, yeah, he was he was just a genuine little racehorse. Made it to stakes grade, but uh, when he got to that weight for age, the weights just killed him because he was so small. But um, mm. yeah, he was a genuine horse that tried his heart out all the time, and he gave me a lot of pleasure. Your son Matthew won a couple of races on him. Yeah, yes, he was one of the first to ride him, and uh, yeah, he he loved him and always had an opinion of him. And uh, it was good that Matthew could win a race on him. It was it was really good to have Matthew riding for me, and it was it was just great to watch him r- ride and you know uh, make it. And, and then he got too big to had to retire. But mm. while while he was riding, um, I loved putting him on, and he was yeah. a very good judge of a horse. So was it was it was was handy for me at, at track. So going back a bit, uh, Groove playing crazy. Helps you get started. Won eight races. Yeah, she she was a really good mare. Um, probably one of the first ones I had um, that she really did anything. Um, owned by the Cobcroft family, who I rode for for a long, long time. Mm. And he gave me a few horses when I started training, and she was one of the first. So, yeah, she was a good mare. She won. Uh, she just got beat in the big mare's race at Scone Carnival. And she won a good race at the Spring Carnival at Renwick one day for us. Mm. She was, um, you know, uh, a quality mare that um, was just probably below top grade, but uh, she did a great job. Alan, there were two particular horses uh, looking for Lang and Who's Ready who gave you two immense thrills in different years. In 2008, you took Looking for Lang to Melbourne and won a race at Flemington over the Melbourne Cup Carnival. Doesn't come much better than that. No, that was a really big thrill. Uh, he, he was a re- really good horse for us. He won a lot of races, and he was a, a just a 
free running horse that used to lead and run. And um, yeah, he was a grey horse, and um, he won in Brisbane for us. He won everywhere for us, mm. and we decided to take him to Melbourne to give him a crack at the Grays race. Mm. And um, yeah, it was my first venture to um, take a horse away like that to a big carnival. And yeah, he saluted, and then um, we were lucky enough to do it two years later with um, Who's Ready. I took her down mm. for a three-year-old fillies race. Uh, same day, Spring Carnival, Thursday, Oaks Day, mm. and she saluted. So yeah, that, that were two highlights. So it was really. Um, really happy with and and it was just great to um tell the owners we, we thought we had a good chance in these races and you take them down and they both won so that was really good very satisfying yeah it's very very satisfying now looking for lang also won a tamworth cup for you with josh parr in the saddle yeah he did uh, josh never rode him that day he couldn't uh, make the weight uh, and um allison threadwall ended up riding him um yeah, so it was a big thrill for her and it was a big thrill for us because um, I'd, had a lot, I'd had a lot to do with the Tamworth Cup Carnivals, you mm. know, going there every year riding. Mm. And um, I always wanted to win a Tamworth Cup and could never do it as a jockey. Um, but then I took a horse back and won it as a trainer, so that was very satisfying. Alison Threadwell was one of the best of the lady riders in that part of the state and uh, retired only recently. Yes, she's just had a baby, and uh, yeah, she had a couple of bad falls, and she kept coming back from the falls, but I think it just got too much for her in the end, and she was decided to retire, and um, yeah, she's just had a baby, and she's going very well, actually. She rang me last week and just to um, congratulate me and say hello and say how happy she was that, you know, that um, things were going Right for uh, since I retired, you know that I'd done the right thing and retired, and had everything went well for me. So that was very nice of her. Very thoughtful uh, of her, Alan. Yeah. Yeah, very nice. Yeah. Now you yeah. grew up in the Sydney suburb of Ryde. You were one of five kids, and you had absolutely nothing to do with horses. In fact, a headmaster gave you some advice one day. What did he say to you? <laughs> he told me I'd be better off leaving. I was no good at school. I was more interested in doing something else. Yeah. And that, that I'd only improve if I left school, and I said, well, I'm happy with that. I I was in all the sports teams, and I didn't have much interest in classroom. Mm. And, um, yeah, I, so I took that advice and left at 14 and a half and went and found myself a job. So, yeah, that's how it all started. Well, um, because of your small stature, you were drawn to the notion that you might like to be a jockey. And to do something about that, you caught a bus. Where did you go? To Coogee. Yeah, I went to Randwick. I got on a bus at Ride and went to Central. Mm. Got off the bus there at Central and got on a bus to Coogee and got off at Randwick when I went past the race course and I sort of knew where I was going. Um, I looked it up in the um, Gregory's, mm. where, where the stables were, the addresses, and I walked around and I went to um, two places first and got the knockbacks. They had already had apprentices. Yeah. And then I went to the third place, which was Harry Plants, and, um, yeah, I got a job. So that day I went home on the bus and told mum when I got home that I had a job. I had to start on uh, the Sunday. Mm. Now, I think that was on the Thursday. Yeah. So on the Sunday we all got in the car and um, went down and dropped me off at the stables and, yeah, that was the start of it. Yeah. Now, so, Alan, Harry Plant, long gone now but certainly not forgotten. You would have had no idea the dizzy heights uh, to which he uh, aspired during his training career, here is a man who trained for part of his illustrious career, the legendary Burnborough. 
Yes, that's right. And, and I didn't know anything about him until I went there and then I uh, found out all these things and all these great horses that he trained, Fine and Danny, Time and Tide, mm. and, and the great Burnborough. So, yeah, he was, uh, he was a great trainer, uh, very good horseman, and uh, I learned a lot there. He was uh, pretty good to me in the short time I was there. He, then he retired after about two years and... Mm. Um, yeah, he was. Uh, yeah, he was a phenomenal man with a horse. So, mm. yeah, I was. I was um, very lucky to just start off there. That he gave me a job to start. Um, yeah. yeah, and, Alan, and did, things worked. Things worked out. Did he ever talk about Burnborough? Can you recall his bringing Burnborough up in conversation? Oh, I can't remember, John. I don't think so. Um, we never had a real lot to do with him because uh, he was so old. He yeah. only just went to the track and we didn't see him much during the day and we really didn't have a chance to talk to him. Mm. He'd just give us uh, the instructions and he had a very good form in there um, and he used to run the show. So uh, I didn't really get a lot, have a lot to do with um, Gee, I'd, uh, Harry. I'd love to have been a fly on the wall if Harry was talking about Burnborough. Oh, yeah, well, I'm, I'm sure it would have been some good stories. He was a great horse. Yeah. Mm. Now, Groove, Neville Voigt had been apprenticed to Harry Plant. I think he'd just finished, hadn't he, when you went there? Yes, he had. He'd just, he'd just come out of his time, and uh, that was probably one of the reasons why um, Harry gave me a job. Mm. He'd just finished his apprenticeship, and um, actually when I the first day I started there, I went and met um, Neville, and he was sitting at home with his arm in a sling. He just broke his collarbone in the fall. So, oh, um, yeah, but he was—he just come out of his time, and yeah, Neville and I have been great friends ever since uh, that time. So, yeah, he helped me a lot when we first started. Now you rode for your tickets for another wonderful trainer, Jack Green, one of the all-time greats. The horse was called Gin and Bitters. Yeah, that's right. I, I can remember that day at uh, Ramwick. Mum and Dad come down to watch me and I rode in the trials and I think I ran second on gin and bitters. And, um, yeah, Jack was very happy to give me a thing because I used to write a couple of work for him. Mm. And, uh, yeah, I got my licence and away I went. So um, it, it was it was good. There were some great trainers at Ramwick in them days. And, you know, um, it's just mind-boggling when you sit back and you realise that people you did ride for and had mm. something to do with what they'd done in their lifetime. So, yep. yeah, that was very pleasing. Well, when Harry Plant retired, you heard on the grapevine that Ray Guy was looking for an apprentice at Rose Hill and before you knew it, you joined Ray Guy's establishment. Yeah, that's right. Um, it was. Um, I went from the little stable. We only had about 10 horses in work at Ramwick to a stable that had 30 or 40 horses in work and um, there was 10 boys work, working there. We all lived together in brooms and, yeah, it was a bit of a um, different scenario to what I'd been used to, mm. but it was, it was great fun and a great time of my life. I, I uh, really enjoyed my time there. He was a very hard boss, but he was a fair boss and he was very good to me. He got me established and got me going, so... Yeah, I can only, only say good things about Ray. And who were his other apprentices in your time? Um, Kevin Berry was with me. That's the father of uh, Tommy and Nathan. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, um, Mark de Montfort? Mark de Montfort was just after me. He come mm-hmm. come after me. Um, and there was only Kevin and I when I, when I was riding there. Yeah. Um, and and then the others come. Mitchell? Donnie Mitchell. Yeah, he came after me. He yeah. was just after me, Donnie. Mm. Yeah, he was a very good apprentice. 
he's had some really good apprentices and he was very good to him. Ray, he, he gave him um, plenty of work and, and um, plenty of rides. So he was he was good good to his apprentices. He had some very good apprentices. So, well, you, your first winner wasn't trained by your boss. It was a mare called Great Lady, trained by Les Parker, and she was the only horse he had in the stable. Yes, he was a he was a bricklayer that used to work around all the stables and, and do odd jobs and had one horse in work and he used to just um, take a deli down to the track and she was like an old lady to him and uh, they were great friends and uh, yeah I ended up getting a ride on her one day at Newcastle and she won her maiden at Newcastle so that was um, quite uh, funny that. My first winner was at Newcastle, and then I ended up riding at Newcastle, so mm. it might have been something there that yeah. day. Well, a week later, you won another one at Mudgee, and then over the next few weeks, you went on a roller coaster ride. Tell yeah, me about I did. this horse, Cast Iron. Well, I didn't. Uh, I, I used to see Kevin and talk to him all the time. and Kevin, uh, Hayes. Kevin Hayes. Yep. Yeah, Kevin Hayes. And um, I, I was just riding work and struggling to get rides. Then all of a sudden I rode a winner, and then I rode a winner the next week. Mm-hmm. And the following week, uh, Kevin said, I want to give you a ride at uh, Warwick Farm. Mm-hmm. And um, I went and saw Ray, and he said, yeah, that's fine. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, I rode cast iron, and... Uh, we drew a bad barrier. I think we drew 16 or something like that, but um, they were very keen on the horse and he jumped and put himself outside the leader and then went on and won the race. Mm. So, um, yeah, that was my first winner in town and I was very happy. And then just things went on a roller coaster, really. I just, um, the next Wednesday, Ray put me on two and they both won. Two mares um, and two nice yeah, mares Mona's, too. Yeah, Mona's Joy and Steve Ett. Yeah. And uh, they were two very good mares that Ray had. And then from then on, it just just rolled on. I just kept going, and I had a great like mm, just, 12, 18 months. Just kept riding all the time oh, yeah. in Saturday, so yeah. it was very very good. It was a very great time, and um, yeah, I was you know, very lucky being at the right place at the right time. And yeah, things just rolled on. So, mm. just going back to that horse, Cast Iron. I think he was closely related to a great horse of the late nineteen sixties. Tobin Bronze. I think yes, some somewhere along the line he was related to him, mm. um, and he was a very good horse himself. Cast Iron, he was um, yeah, he was a very good horse in Sydney. So mm. he had a lot of luck with him, Kevin. Um, yeah, Kevin Hayes was uh, a very smart trainer. He could get one ready as as well as anybody, and he was a great judge and he loved to punt. Yes, he did. He loved the bet, and I think they had a very good day that day. They did a horse one <laughs> for, yeah, for my three-kilo uh, claim, yeah. or seven pound or whatever it was. Yeah. Ray Guy was very successful too, Alan. He was always in the top six in the Sydney Premiership. He ran third one year to Tommy Smith and Neville Begg. He never got a high-price yearling to train, and most of his horses were raced by syndicates or breeders. Yeah, that's right. He never, uh, he wasn't a big uh, buyer at the sales or anything like that. He had a few studs that used to give him horses. Freddie Pizar from Lomar Park, when he first kicked off, mm. um, gave Ray some very handy horses. Probably his best horse he ever had was um, from there. That was Sovereign Slipper, mm. who um, uh, won the Breeders' Plate. His first start in a race, 
and he went for a spell and he came back from a spell and he won a flying at Rose Hill first up as a two-year-old, mm. um, which which is never done anymore these days. And, and um, yeah, he won a flying yeah. second start in a race and then he went on to run in the slipper and just get beat and run third. Run um, third, yeah, correct. Yeah, he was, a, he was a very good horse. Just get you to stand by there for a moment, mate. We'll clear a commitment on the podcast and back with Alan Scorse in just a moment. The 2019 English Australian Broodmare and Weanling Sale and the Chairman's Sale were an overwhelming success. The Chairman's Sale ended with a clearance rate of 92% and an average of over $427,000, a record for a Southern Hemisphere sale. On a memorable evening at Riverside, four mares sold for a million or more two of them selling for two million or more, and they were Maastricht Dam of Loving Gabby and dual Group 1 winning mare Srikandi, while a further seven sold for $500,000 or more. Lot 1, a trapeze artist breeding right for next season, made $105,000 for injured jockey Ty Angland, who was present at the sale with his wife Erin. The two days of select and general race fillies and brood mares averaged over $42,000 with a clearance rate of 76%. Select weanlings averaged $36,000 with an 85% clearance. The four-day sale grossed almost $40 million. You'll find the full sales results and information on upcoming sales on inglis.com.au. My special guest is Alan Groovy Scorse. Al, the Newcastle trainers were absolutely delighted to see a young jockey of your experience become a regular at Broad Meadow. One of them was a man destined to become your father-in-law, the late Roy Hinton, who died only last year at the remarkable age of 92. What a terrific horseman. Yeah, he was. He was a great horseman and a, a a great uh, help to me. Uh, he was. We got on from the first day I ever rode for him. We got on terrific, and uh, it was a pleasure to ride for him. And he was a great horseman and and loved his horses and loved his horses right to the end. He he was still going to the races and sitting up in the grandstand when he was ninety two. So mm. yeah, he had a, he um, loved just loved the races and loved the horse and loved the bet. And yeah, we had a great time together. Roy and Audrey Hinton's daughter. And their only child, I believe, Sharon, became Mrs. Alan Scorse, and you two recently celebrated 47 years of marriage. At 45. I beg 45, your John. Yeah, 45. Yeah, still, that's, that's a pretty yeah, good it's a, score. That's a pretty good effort. Yeah, very good, yes. <laughs> yeah, it's been a great, been a great ride. And, uh, yeah, uh, Sharon said to me the other day, 45 years is a long time, Said, would you do it again? I said, my if I do it again. Yeah, so, you're yeah. a crawler. She's listening. <laughs> she <is. laughs> yeah. She's got a smile on her face now. <laughs> you and Sharon produced two great boys, Matthew. We've spoken about Matt already. A very capable rider, forced out of the game by increasing weight, and Bradley, who can put a head collar on a horse, but he's a fisherman by trade. Yeah, he he just loves that. He he's worked in the stables and can handle a horse and has worked for a few different places, um, studs and that. And but he just he's drawn back to the sea. He just loves fishing and goes out on the trawlers and yeah, he just loves it. So, hmm. Alan, 
I want to talk about the best horse you ever rode, a New Zealand bred called Manawapui. He had his first three starts for another Newcastle trainer, Dick Kent. Roy Hinton trained him from three-year-old on, and in 1976 he was a late five-year-old when you won the Stradbroke with 49.5 kilos. How did you get down to that? Yeah, that was, that was a bit of a um, task. I really did it tough doing that, and um, I, I couldn't have lasted another minute. I was absolutely gone after the race, mm. but um, just the adrenaline, I think, kept me going. And, and yeah, I really worked hard to ride the forty nine and a half, and it was. Um, I only ever did it twice, and both horses won. So um, yeah. it, it was a, really a task for me. Used to riding fifty two, fifty two and a half, mm. but um, yeah, it was well worth it. And um, yeah, I, I got there in the end. But it was hard work. What was the other one? Um, uh, in a group uh, race. Yes, it was. Uh, was. Princely sum in the summer cup of um, uh, I can't remember now what year it was. Yeah, John, he, won, he won the summer cup when it was the second leg of the Villiers double yeah. over Christmas period. Right. And um, yeah, so. he was trained at Newcastle too, wasn't he? Yeah, he was. Yeah, mm. yeah. Alan Donkins trained him. Yeah, yeah. he yeah. carried orange and pale blue colours. Yeah, he did. Yes, they were the own, owners' colours. Yeah, um, Princely son. I can still yeah. see a scores. Yeah. Yep, he was a nice horse. He won quite a few races in town for us. And okay. yeah, um, Back to Manawapoi for a moment. Yep. Uh, we all know that Manawapoi had a booming finish. There was no other way to ride him. He had to be ridden back in the Stradbroke if, he's, if he was to be any hope at all. You drew the car park, so you had to go back. Yeah, I drew 24 out of 24, so that was a bit of a disaster when we saw that, but... Mm. Um, look, we had a lot of confidence in the horse. The horse was absolutely flying at the time. I knew with 49 and a half, he could handle a couple of little things going wrong, mm. um, but I just had to keep him balanced and, and give him clear running, and, and he did the rest. So mm. I had a beautiful run in the race. I followed um, Dennis McLoon on El Colin. I can still remember it plain as day. Mm. And um, when we went over the half-mile crossing, Del Rollo was just up in front of me, and he fell uh, with Larry Olsen on him. Mm. And um, just disrupted the field a little bit. But, yeah, I had a terrific run all the way and El Kalin carted me into the race and I just let him down in the straight and mm. with 49 and a half, he just sprinted too hard for him and yeah. was in front just past the 200 and yeah. kept going. So, um, Well, he was a remarkable horse. A couple of weeks later, he ran third to Shaney Walk and Spasky in the Doombin Cup. Yes, yeah. He, uh, he actually, after he won the... Um, Stradbroke, he went to Doom and won a 2,000 metre race, mm. and then he ran in the Doom Cup and just got beat uh, yeah, by Shaney Walk. Mm. So, yeah, he was he was a good horse. He could win from 1,200 to 2,000, yeah. no trouble. You, know, so. yeah. you ran second on him in a Doncaster 2 groove. Uh, yeah, just yeah, just he, Ideals Doncaster. Yeah, Just Ideals, probably one of the few horses that come from behind him and beat him. Um, in a race, so yeah, that was a bit of a thrill being in front to the last little bit. But um, he was he was just a good horse that could run in any race and and hold his head up high. And yeah, he he was a good horse. Yeah. Your second Group One win was on a lovely mare called Spanish Mix, on whom you won the nineteen ninety three William Reed Stakes. Now she was trained by a little bloke called Bill Farrow. 
You didn't ride her early in her career, but you'd been watching her races and you'd formed an opinion about the way they were riding her. Yeah, that's right. I was I was good friends with Billy because Billy used to ride the pony for Jack Denham at Rose Hill. I used to talk to him a lot. And then when he branched out training and I was riding up in this area, he used to say hello all the time. We used to talk. And he told me he had a real good horse. Uh, this one day, Corindai, uh, and it won. And then she went on to win probably three or four in a row. And I was talking to him one day at Corindai races again. And I just said to him, Bill, I think you're riding that mare a bit out of her comfort zone. I said, she's leading all the time, but you have to be pushing her too hard to lead. I said, she's getting away with it in these lower grades, but when she gets up a bit, she's going to have to, um, you know, I think you're going to have to ride her a little bit quieter. And he said, oh, do you think so? I said, yeah, she just seems to get pushed out of her comfort zone. So her next start at Randwick, um, after she won at Crindy, Malcolm Johnson rode her, and she drew 15 or 16 in a 1,000 in a metre race. And Malcolm the way Malcolm rides it, they used to just run for Malcolm and she jumped and led and, and was, had him beat and then all of a sudden she just fell in a hole and she got run down and Bill was a bit shattered and because uh, he thought she could win and she got run down and the, the next week he rang me and he said, can you ride her for me? And I said, yeah, that'd be great. I'd love to. And it was a 1,200-metre race and I just jumped out and sat on her mm. and when I sat on her she just got on the bit and travelled and just pulled herself into the race and she ended up winning by four um, and a half lengths yes and it was on a heavy track and she just run through it like it was a tar road yeah and uh, I said to Bill she just needs to be ridden a little bit quieter you know just to give her a chance to get on the bit and um, yeah so that's how I come to get on her and, mm. and she won I think after that she won another race at Rose Hill yeah uh, and then she ran second to Joanne a couple of times mm. um, in late, uh, stakes races. Yeah, lovely mare uh, Joanne, trained by yes, Jack Denham. Yes, she was, yeah, and um, she was a high-class mare. Then she won the Challenge Stakes for yep. you at Randwick yep. and then went to Melbourne and, and knocked them all the big sprinters off of Melbourne. So, yeah, she was a really top-line filly, mm. uh, a mare, and, um, yeah, not long after that they sold her, sold her to um, Woodlands and... Uh, they bought her, and she went to John, John Hawkes's. But yeah, yeah, she was she was a really top class mare who could run plenty of time each time she raced. Uh, yeah. She was by a horse called Esperanto. Yes, yeah, that's where the Spanish mix come from, Esperanto. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Alan, high on your list of favourites was Razor Sharp, a horse who won two Newmarket handicaps at Flemington, ridden in those by Dale Short. You rode him early in his career, though, and I know you won a missile stakes on him, a Group 3, and a challenge stakes, Group 2. Yes, yeah, and I won the pace setter at Gosford yeah, on him. Yep. Um, and I think I won uh, five or six in a row on him as, a, as an early three-year-old in town in, um, uh, before, he, before he won the pace setter. I think he, he won mm. about four or five yeah. Something in a row, but anyway, he um, yeah, he was probably the second best horse I rode. He was a really top line. He was one of the fastest horses I ever rode. Yeah, out of the barrier, he was never beaten out of the barrier. He always jumped half a length in front, yeah. and he was going full tilt as soon as he hit the ground. He was just a really out and out sprinter who who was ended well. He got his right um, accolades, winning two group ones because that's the type of horse he was, and, mm. and uh, he, he deserved those wins. So, 
just a shame I wasn't on him in them days, but anyway. Yeah, that's ra- racing. That's racing. <laughs> yeah, that's racing, yeah. You yeah. had great affection for a mare called Swiftly Anne, trained by the late Roy Hinton, your father-in-law. You yeah. won 12 races on this mare, including one of your favourite races. If you had to pick one race on the Australian turf that you have a soft spot for, it's the Newcastle Newmarket. You won it twice. Yeah, it was the hallmark of Newcastle racing. Um, it was a great day. It was a really big day. It was something special for everybody, and we could we won it twice, two years in a row. So that was something that I was really proud of um, to do it at Newcastle. And um, yeah, she was a great mare. Uh, won a lot of races, uh, as tough as nails. And uh, yeah, she was a pleasure to ride. Your last winning ride in the city was a horse called Hagman, trained at Newcastle, I think, by Ron Dawson. And Ross, yeah, Ross Dawson. R- Ross Dawson, yep. Yep. And at Rose Hill in June of 1997, this is your last city winner, she came, or he came from a mile back and just got up at odds of $71. Yeah, that's right. And um, we thought he could win that day. Um, I'd ridden in the start before at Canterbury, he'd run super, but he'd worked terrific ever since. And I said to Ross, if, if ever you're going to win a race and win some money, it could be on Saturday with this horse, mm. I think you should try and get some money out of him. And he, he did, he backed him, uh, and he was very happy with the result. We, we got <laughs> a good result. And, yeah, it was, it was a pleasure to see him uh, really... Uh, get out of the doldrums with with a win. You know, one one win helped him, and he ended up moving out of Newcastle and going buying stables at Coffs Harbour, mm. and uh, he's been there ever since. Yeah, so it, it was good that I could help him on his way. Anyway, so. you've made a million friends in racing, Groovy Scorse, and all of them are thinking of you at this very difficult time. I know you'll well, be totally committed to your treatment regime. And uh, we all wish you well, mate. The very, very best. Oh, thank you very, very much, John. It's a pleasure. And, um, yeah, I'll be giving it my best shot. And, um, yeah, I'm, um, I'm happy with the uh, decision I made to retire. It was a hard one, but I'm quite happy with the fact that I've got a hard road ahead of me and um, I'm going to be going full tilt at it. And, um, yeah, I've just been um, overwhelmed by the support and... and um, people that have rang and, and given their um, blessings to me. So it's been great, and I've made some great friends in racing, and I've had a wonderful time, and um, I've still got a lot to go. So, Well said, Groove, and thank you so much for joining the podcast. Great to talk. Thanks very much, John. It's been a pleasure. Alan Groovy Scorse, and this podcast was produced by Supernova Sound. The 2019 English Australian Broodmare and Weanling Sale and the Chairman's Sale were an overwhelming success. The Chairman's Sale ended with a clearance rate of 92% and an average of over $427,000, a record for a Southern Hemisphere sale. On a memorable evening at Riverside, four mares sold for a million or more two of them selling for two million or more, and they were Maastricht Dam of Loving Gabby and dual Group 1 winning mayor Srikandi, while a further seven sold for $500,000 or more. Lot 1 
a trapeze artist breeding right for next season, made $105,000 for injured jockey Ty Angland, who was present at the sale with his wife Erin. The two days of select and general race fillies and broodmares averaged over $42,000 with a clearance rate of 76%. Select weanlings averaged $36,000 with an 85% clearance. The four-day sale grossed almost $40 million. You'll find the full sales results and information on upcoming sales on inglis.com.au.